So a huge part, I was just recently thinking about this, a huge part of what we do when we gather is a sermon. It's, it's a chunk of our time together every week. And it's been like this from the beginning. Not just from the beginning of Sacred Mission, but from the beginning of the church. It's been a, a key part of, I feel like, how God designs churches and designs our gatherings and stuff. Um, but what was interesting is there was a church um, in the Midwest area that several years ago, a large church, over 15,000 people that came together every Sunday at this church, and they said, hey, let's just like do this massive study. Let's actually pay big money, like over $100,000 to this outside consulting firm to come and interview every single person that is a part of this church and just see where's everybody at. And so, uh, so they spent many months trying to kind of like reveal what was there, what was there in people's hearts, what was there in, in their walks with God and all that stuff. And so the results, they published the results and they, were, they published a book about it and stuff, but the results were like surprising. Um, and one of the things that they asked people was, how excited are you about your church? It's just kind of a simple question. Hey, you know, how excited overall are you about the church? And what was interesting was that there were a group of people who were like really excited. They're like, I can't believe I found this church. I've been looking for it. You know, wow. And it was people who had been at the church for like less than a year <laughs> were like really excited about the church. And then there was this like group of people that it was like, how excited about the church? You're kind of, they were kind of like, yeah. Not really that excited. You know, I mean, I, I love my church. I go to my church, but like, I'm not like the way I used to be. I'm not, I'm not crazy out of my mind about, about this church. And, um, but then, so, so they kind of looked at that, but then what was interesting is they like were looking at all the metrics, and then they saw that there was another group that were really excited about the church. And some of that group had been there longer than anybody else. And they're like, how do we have this like early group excited, middle group not so excited, later group really excited? And you know, some of the middle group had been there a long time too, so they were like, is it just how long you've been there? Like, what are the differences? And so they, they looked into like, maybe the people who weren't that excited about the church had been involved in some conflict that the first and the third group hadn't. Um, maybe uh, the, the third group had some roles in the church, like elders, deacons, and stuff, that that made them happy versus like the middle group. And this church was decades old, so they'd had a lot of time for things to happen. Um, but what was interesting is they couldn't find any reason between the second and the third group, like the ones that were excited and the ones that weren't excited, except only one thing. There was only one thing that they were like, here's the difference between these two groups. And they used the phrase that the third group had become self-feeders of the Word of God. Self-feeders of the Word of God. That the third group didn't get all their Bible from a sermon. Um, or from time in a community group. So um, the third group were active on a Sunday were active participants of a sermon, were actively involved in a community group, but they had also developed this individual walk with God and were seen as self-feeders of the Word of God throughout the week. And um, they had a walk with God where they weren't relying on gathering for their growth. 
um, no matter what any of us do for a living, no matter how educated or not educated any of us are, um, the Word of God is for all of us. Our, uh, our individual, vibrant, day-by-day-by-day day day walk with Jesus is for all of us. And, um, and just we're committed. So this church started being like, how do we reorient everything we do towards like encouraging this type of walk with Jesus? And you know, this has been on our hearts and minds and in our prayers from the day one of, of Sacred Mission. Um, we are all in for this. And um, community groups, a sermon, play a really big role in that. But self-feeders of the Word of God play a huge role. So it's like, well, what's the role here then? What, what is kind of the role of a sermon? Is it, should we learn things? Absolutely. Like, we will learn things together here. Um, but the role of the sermon, more than anything, is together for us to be transformed. It's a moment at the very beginning of the week. The first thing, one of the, the priorities that Christians early on had is the first thing we do at the beginning of the week. You know, a lot of times we think of Monday as being the beginning of the week, you know, but even on our calendar, Sunday is before Monday as it relates to a new week, and Sunday morning. So the idea is like, the first thing we do at the beginning of our week is we come together to together be transformed by God, by his word, um, by each of us sharpening each other as then we go out to have our times of individual walks with him. We gather throughout the week as we're scattering. Um, but the role of the sermon here is the reality that our walk with God has to be individual. Like there's a saying that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Like you can't be like, oh, I know God because my dad knew God. It's like, no, I know him because I know him. I've given my life to him. Um, and so our walks with God are, are individual, and our walk with God is a community project. And we, we come together to be changed together, that God's word would empower us during this gathering in a way that we're, as Kevin even prayed, like, would we even not rush out of here, but come closer to each other after we've heard from God's word to say, like, I need him to do what I desire to do in following him. Would you come around me, lift my arms up, support me? Can I come around and support anybody else? Um, and I just heard just one guy I was talking to this morning was like, as I've been getting closer to this other guy, I couldn't believe how much our stories are the same. And I thought I had a one and only story, which we do, but, it, but also God can bring us together where it's like, you too, huh? Uh, then we can follow him too as we follow Jesus. So, so our time together is not supposed to be a lesson on surgery. We don't come to like learn about how surgery works. Like we actually walk into the space and look to God and say, you have the scalpel, do whatever you want to do in our souls as we are together this morning. We're going to support each other, we're going to worship you, but we know that what you have for us is best. And a lot of our prayers, we, we pray from 9.15 to about 9.40 uh, Sunday mornings, and we're praying for transformation usually more than anything. It's, like God, it's not like, God, make us win Bible trivia you know, teach me a lot of things so I can beat somebody with it. But it's like, no, God, change me. Change us. Change me. 
change us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would change us through Genesis chapter 11 today. Would you transform us for your glory? So Genesis 11, we're in this morning. Verse 1 starts this way. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. It made me laugh thinking about that, how like even in English, like if you go to like, you know, the inner parts of Louisiana, you're like, we speak the same language, but I think we have different words, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm picking up, we're, we're not, we both speak English, but it's different words. So here they have one language and the same words, one dialect. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So this land that these people, after, you know, we, we've been on quite a journey through Genesis already, after the flood, all that stuff. We have the three sons of Noah, and from there, people are spreading out all over all the earth. Um, Ham's family seem to be the family that are all rebelling against anything connected to God. And this is still going in that road of Ham's family who are achieving great things. Doing, we heard, learned about Nimrod last week who founded some of the greatest cities of, who would become the greatest enemies and the greatest empires against God's people um, as we read about throughout the Old Testament. Um, and here we're seeing that they actually have technologies of like making bricks and then they've got this mortar that is oil-based um, not like olive oil based, but like like black oil from the ground based oil. And so the land of Shinar that they're in, like there's this area that you can see on Google Maps where there's desert all around it, but then there's green. There's like a really large green circle. And so that's where the Assyrians, the Babylonians start putting down their roots. And we, we know, so today the center of that area would be, uh, would be Iraq. Like, Iraq is kind of like in the center of that area. Um, and we know this to be an oil-rich area, right? Even today, we know like that is a big part of that area is they have oil in the ground that they can get to. Well, so archaeologists, were, there's so much archaeology in this, and I've been restraining myself, but I have to share a couple things, or this one in particular, and it's funny, it's just a brick. But, uh, but archaeologists were digging down to the 2000 B.C. level, so they have various ways to understand, like, okay, we are, we are at the 2000 B.C. level. And they found, like, foundations. And actually, there's cities all throughout that all of these places have these foundations of, of like, skyscraper-type foundations. So really large structural foundations. And um, in Ur, which we'll hear about, they were down at the 2000 B.C. level, and they found a 4,000-year-old brick and I think we have a picture of it. And what's fascinating is that, see the mortar? So even like today, you can go to a place and see, okay, this is at the time period that the Old Testament is talking about, and there are fired bricks, and the mortar is black, oil-based mortar that was being used to construct at that time at the place that this is being said, you know? So if you're making up a story like the author would have to have intimate knowledge of that area at that time to even make up a story and give such details that 
or it could be proven false, right? So, but we just see time and time again here that it's like, okay, they did have bricks with oil-based mortar, and they were constructing, they were doing massive construction projects with these with these things. And I don't know if maybe that type of mortar allowed it to hold strength and allowed it to get big and all that stuff. But verse 4, then they said with this technology, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. They talk about heaven, but not God. They don't mention God at all here, just a preview of what to, what to pay attention here. But they said, um, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. So Babylon would end up becoming the nation that is centered on Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And I think it's important to notice here, like, God isn't against their success. Like, it isn't like God is just simply like, I don't like humans achieving things. Full stop. Like, he's, he isn't against our success. He is against what's bad for us. He is against things that we could brag about that he knows are bad for us. He isn't like this killjoy. He isn't the great killjoy. Uh, even at this time, Jesus is conscious and has already committed that he will come to be killed for our joy. So he is not the great killjoy he is actually planning to be killed for our joy. He is about our joy. So you can say, well, what is he against? Why would he do this to these people? Well, they want to build a tower that will reach heaven, but they never mention God. They want to reach heaven. They want to make a name for themselves. And when they say, they say, come, let us build a city let us get to heaven on our own designs. Let us get to heaven in our own way of thinking we can get there. And let us, in the achievement of that, make a name for us. Uh, then they say, lest we would be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, they're not mentioning God, but that's actually what God told them to do. He said, hey, spread out spread out over this whole place. And they were like, hey, if we hurry up and build a tower and get to heaven, we won't have to spread out. So they're not mentioning God, but their actions are showing that they're intentionally trying to go against what God has designed for them. And so I think there's a few options, like, like why, are they, why are they thinking this way? Well, one option is like, hey, 
we don't need him to show us how to get there. We're all smart people. We can just figure out how to get there. And then they start building a tower. We're going to get to heaven on our own, on our own thoughts. Or, maybe more sinister, they could be thinking, you know what, if God dwells up there, if we get up there, maybe we could dwell and send out messages. And maybe like we could run things from up there. If, if you've got to be in that room to run things, let's build something to get up into that room. Or they might be thinking, hey, what if we get up here there and defeat him? If we get up there and defeat him, we can make a name for ourselves and have it our way and not his way. And I love how verse 5 says, and the Lord came down. So they're like, we've built a tower to heaven. And he's like, oh, hold on a second. Let me get down there. You know, like, like they're like, look how high we are. And he's like, yeah, okay, I can come down there. Yeah, I can get down there. You know, like, I love that. It's like he came down to see the city and the tower. Um, once again, like, th- this potentially is in, like, a physical form. And if it is in a physical form, it has to be Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. A pre-incarnate Jesus, we've seen already multiple times in the book of Genesis. And once again, it could be like, as people are trying to build a tower to heaven, he is coming down from heaven to hopefully point them towards the way to heaven, which is, which is following God, not following our own ingenuity about how we could get there without him. So he comes way down to get where, he, where, where they were. It wasn't good for them. And what was interesting is like even building a tower, they were no closer to God. They were actually further away from God trying to build a skyscraper to get to him. So God confused them out of his mercy, frustrated their accomplishments out of his kindness to them to get them in step with him. We are made in God's image to be creative people. You know, the the role here, like the message this morning is not like, so therefore let's do nothing. Like, if, if building something great is bad, let's not build anything. Let's do nothing. Let's just be lazy people passively just being like, well, God, you do whatever you want. I'm going to lay down over here. He, remember, the book of Genesis is preparing people who have been slaves in Egypt for a lifetime, for many lifetimes, to get Egypt out of them so that they can be nation builders So he's actually calling them to build, not just a tower, but a kingdom, and to be nation builders that will build a nation that is a lighthouse for all other nations to come to God. So he is not against us using our creativity. He is against us using our creativity away from him. He's for us using our creativity, our passions, our energy for him in in his direction And that is what is good for us. One leads to hell, the other truly leads to heaven. So it's his kindness when he intervenes to disperse us. And what I love is that this is potentially the greatest feat of engineering of the ancient world. The greatest feat of architecture, potentially, that was being started in the ancient world. The greatest feat of construction. All of those fields. And he gives them five verses. 
And I love, after those five verses, I feel like he's kind of like, hey, can we get back to my story? And look at verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Remember, Shem is the lineage that Jesus comes through, that uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob come through, that King David comes through. So he starts telling this story. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered a parkshad two years after the flood. Shem lived after he fathered a parkshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When a parkshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And a parkshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. That's where the Hebrews come from. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. We're starting to see that death is catching up with people more quickly through the generations. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarug, and Ru lived after he fathered Sarug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor, and Sarug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah, and Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. There's no tower here. There's nothing for an artist to be like, oh gosh, I'm so motivated to you know, envision what this must have looked like as they did with the tower. Um, there's no tower, but there's a foundation. I think we go from a tower to a foundation. It's a, it's a deep foundation that's being laid, a foundation where a far greater structure is going to come, a foundation for God's kingdom to be laid. Now look at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot, which he'll come up later, Sodom and Gomorrah. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred. So don't miss that. So Abram's brother died very prematurely. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this section, I feel like if you look at the Tower of Babel, then you look at this last part of Genesis 11, it's like, man, the Tower of Babel was way more exciting. Um, no one is building a skyscraper in this last section. Actually, instead of building a great city, people are becoming homeless. You know, like, if you bump it, like, imagine you're at, like, your high school graduation, you know, after 20 years, and it's like, you know, hey, what are you doing? 
oh, we uh, actually just completed a skyscraper. You might have heard of it on the news, you know. And then it's like, what are you doing? Uh, looking for a job. You know, like, that can feel very like, you've arrived, you have not. What are you doing? Oh, man, we're, have you, have you heard about some of this stuff? I mean, I've got the company shirt, you know, our logo. And so, you know, like, it seemed like we're very established. We're doing incredible things. What are you doing? Oh, I'm actually really mourning the death of my brother. I'm really mourning the death of my dad. Wasn't expecting either of those to happen. And I've left my home. I'm in a place that I've never been in before. Um, oh, and my wife can't conceive a baby. You know, it's like, whew. Yeah. And it's like, wow, the future looks really bright. <laughs> Go on, brother. You know, it's like, that's where I'm at. And, and I, I, I am grateful that God gives five verses for the success. And once again, he is not against success. But success that is like, hey, if God's not real, my plans are going to be so much better. I hope he's not real because of the life I'm constructing. I hope he doesn't come and frustrate my plans because I'm doing really well without him. I'm, I'm accomplishing great things. I'm making a great name for myself and I'm actually reaching heaven on my own. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll mention you guys. This is the story I want to tell. And there's a family that is mourning, that it's not going the way they thought it was going to go. They're not in the place that they have been putting down roots their entire life for generations They've moved out of that place, and even, you know, the dad led them out, and then he died halfway between here and there, and the future doesn't look great because also Sarai can't have baby. She can't have a baby, and she's been trying for decades, and plans are falling, plans are failing, new plans are needed, the future is unknown. The time is desperate. No one is bragging here. No one is boasting, pumping their chest. What I love is that God is laying a foundation that is going to build things that, that are far larger than the Tower of Babel, far more significant than the Tower of Babel. He is positioning a people and even using people who uh, we learn in other passages that, uh, that Abram's dad, is, uh, he worships, he, he's pagan is how they refer to him. He's worshiping false gods. He's not a follower of God. But God still uses him to get things in place where he's going to ask one guy to have faith in what God says. And we're going to see that, the, and this is what we'll go into next week, is because God's like, hey, I want to tell this story of me and a person who has a yes on the table. And a great story of a pursuing God. God initiates the conversation. Abram has a yes on the table, and kingdoms are built. Not because... And it takes a lot of energy, more energy than building the Tower of Babel is going to take. But things that God is empowering and energizing his people to be about building his kingdom and not building our own things that are just going to crumble. And I, th I think a, a 
one question, or maybe like putting two things up. One is like, God frustrates your achievements, God authors your faith. This is the beginning of chapter 11, this is the rest of the Bible. God frustrating your achievements, God authoring your faith. And we're going to see Abram messes up all the time. And, and like, you know, a faithful person would turn right and he turns left. And then God comes to him and says, hey, can you go right? And he's like, yes, I can. So it's not based on our perfection either. It's based on us continually saying, God, I'm in a place even of my own doing. Would you author my story from here? Would you show me the next move from here? God, look how successful we are. God, look how broken I am. God, look at what all I'm doing. God, I need you to do something here. The difference between the beginning of chapter 11 and the rest of the story of God working with people who say yes. Even in the brokenness, even in the confusion, even in the like, we've left, we've left everything to follow you. And this is where we're at. And then him being like, I can work with here. I can take you from here. I don't have to come down and frustrate your plans because you're looking to me. I'm leading you. And man, that, he is so worthy of that. He's so good. Um, and I think the question for each of us is like, what's our move? What's our move there? You know, is it, and man, I just want for my family, like I want us to be as successful as God wants us to be. I want to accomplish everything God wants us to accomplish with that important thing of what God wants us to accomplish. You know, some of you, God might have you form a business that like goes way bigger than you ever thought it would go. And if I meet with you and you're like, man, I am so amazing. And this proves how amazing I am. You're lucky to be sitting with me right now. You know, like that makes you want to throw up, you know. But if it's like, man, God has, and I have a very close friend that's like, man, God has, um, God has blessed us tremendously with this business. And we are praying every day, how can this business be a light for Jesus' kingdom? How can we help support families? How can we bring people? How can we show integrity just by doing this well and honoring where like our, our client is God and we get to serve people because we're living for him? And how do we form a business that way? How do we have half our employees not even care about God, but we're using that to maybe that they can see the difference in us? Like, I mean, those are huge differences. Both are are sleeping well every night because they're so exhausted at the businesses that, that, they're, that they're founding um, under very different pretexts. And whatever God calls us to, um, however he calls us to live it out, would we do it together in him? Together with our hearts on fire because of what he's doing in our lives. And man, for some of you, that's like saying yes to him for the first time. Saying, okay, I'm a yes for your pursuit of me 
I want to be about what you are about, not just about what I'm about or what, the, what commercials or whatever tell me what I should be about. That's empty. I see you filling up people around me. I want you to fill me in that way. Jesus, I give my life to you. For others of us, it might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in with him, and I've kind of got some side tower projects over here, <laughs> where I've kind of got some side hustles of building my own thing, building my own kingdom, letting God have this, but not these other parts, because I can't trust him with these other parts of my life or whatever. And man, it's like, God, would you show us what those are? Would you shine into dark places in our story, dark places in our life, where, where you, can, you can illuminate those, where we can come around each other, and you can grow. You can transform us today to, um, to follow you and not, not follow you partially and follow other things partially. So God, would you do that in here? Would you um, take, take this time, this moment? Lord, I know you're present with us. I know that you're pursuing each of us. We, we kid ourselves if we think that we're primarily pursuing you, that showing up here is really pursuing you. Um, it is, but the more I walk with you, the more I realize just I, I don't feel that way all the time, and I know you are all the time pursuing me. And uh, Lord, would you transform us in this place? Um, would, would you truly, Lord, would, would the areas that you need to frustrate our plans, you need to disperse us from things that we might be circling around or, or premeditating that um, we shouldn't be focused on, we shouldn't be premeditated, we shouldn't be coming around certain things in our lives and our thoughts and our actions. Lord, would you frustrate those? Would you disperse us from those things? Would we all come around you, let you form us to be kingdom builders, would you form a, a bright light in our community, not of our own ingenuity, Lord, but that you've shown us the designs of building your lighthouse? Would it shine into our hearts, into our families, into our neighbors, into our community, into our communities, Lord, for your glory we pray, amen.